Hallelujah. Let's just take a moment. We're going to pray and we're going to continue some things off of what Pastor Jerry said last week as well as what he said in the offering. So, Father, we ask for your blessing and your empowerment on the word of God today. We ask that you give us ears to hear. Give us hearts and wills to obey you. We give you praise and we give you thanksgiving for it, Father. I thank you, Father, that we are receptive in this house eager to be transformed, eager to be changed by your glory. Father, cause us to be more pliable. Cause us to be more agreeable to you and your will and your plan. I thank you, Father, that you set in each one of us a resistance to the enemy's agenda. You set within us an opposition to the enemy's plan. And Father, I thank you and praise you that this service is covered by the blood and no weapon formed against it will prosper. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18. Last Sunday, Pastor Jerry talked about getting your head right, heart right, and mouth right. So you got to get the whole cart right. Okay. Anyway. Hallelujah. Head right, heart right, mouth right. And so we're going we're gonna to keep talking about that today. But I want to go to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to read a parable as it says. And it says, Peter came to him, came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him and saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master of all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This is a pretty intense parable here, pretty intense passage of scripture. And remember what this parable was given. This parable was shared in response to the question, how often do I have to forgive? And how much will I have to forgive? And this was the response. Jesus gives this whole parable. 
So he really sets up in this parable three components. He sets up a master, he sets up a servant, and he sets up a fellow servant. Now we know there's other people because it said the one had wife and children. But he sets up three pieces. And then he sets up two elements of debt. He sets up one with 10,000 talents. And he sets up another one with a uh, hundred denarii. Both were owed to someone else. Both the 10,000 talents was owed and the hundred denarii was owed. Now, it's interesting when you start getting the comparison because it takes 6,000 denarii to make one talent. So we've got one servant that's begging forgiveness for 10,000 talents. And we've got one fellow servant begging for forgiveness for 100 denarii. And what Jesus is trying to get across, the moral of the story is, a master forgave this man of 10,000 talents, but yet that same servant wouldn't forgive a fellow servant for 100 denarii. So we have, if we could put it into... um, if we could put it into modern terms, we have one being forgiven of billions and we have one that won't be forgiven of hundreds or thousands. And what Jesus was trying to point out to them is we have a master that is willing to forgive us for everything we have ever done, will ever do, or could possibly ever do. So you as a servant of that master have to be willing to forgive any other fellow servant for anything they do. And he's warning about the fact of not letting go of this little thing when God has been willing to forgive you of everything. Do you see this story? God is willing to forgive you of everything So you do not have a right to hold anything against another. If God in his heart has compassion to let go of every wrong thing we've done, we have to be willing to let go of anything anyone else would do. Okay? And it's interesting to notice in this scripture that that one servant is forgiven of the 10,000 talents And he is unwilling to forgive his fellow servant of the hundred denarii. And because he was unwilling to forgive his fellow servant of the hundred denarii, the master orders that then no longer does this one get my mercy. The compassion that was once given to the servant was removed when that servant wasn't willing to be compassionate to a fellow servant. Do you see that? Because once he decided to enforce the debt that was owed to him, then what happened is the master came and said, if you can't be merciful to one, I'm not merciful to you. You now have to pay all. 
And it's interesting, he said, you now are delivered to the torturers until you can pay off. So he's, what he's speaking here, Jesus is speaking multiple things. He's saying the volume of mercy you're going to get from the Father will be determined by how willing you are to give your fellow brother mercy. And he says, if you are willing to give others mercy, you're going to end up under torture. Do you know what torture is? Torture is the hardness of the enemy constantly on your back. That's what torture is. And Jesus is making it very clear. I am willing to forgive you of anything. So walk in that same compassion and forgive each other for something so that my mercy, my forgiveness never is empty in your house. It's always going to be there. As long as you will be merciful to others, I can be merciful to you. It gives us an idea that mercy or forgiveness travels through doorways. And we have the ability to shut the door on the forgiveness of God. Hallelujah. So let's talk about what the word forgive means. The word forgive means to let go, to let alone, to release, give up a debt, and to disregard. Let it go. If I was really a good singer, I'd sing the song. But I'm not that good a singer to sing that. Hallelujah. But I want us to see the exact connection that the master was first willing to forgive But because the servant wasn't willing to forgive another, the mercy of the master was removed. Okay? Let's look over at Mark 11. Mark 11, verse 25. He says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. You know, this is in the word of God. And I didn't write it. Pastor Jerry didn't even write this. But obviously, it's very important to God. It's very important to God for us to walk in forgiveness. You know, um, the thing about forgiveness is the reason it becomes difficult is because our flesh likes unforgiveness. It likes unforgiveness. And the reason it likes unforgiveness is because you don't have to forgive somebody for something they did right. We always have to forgive somebody for something they've done wrong. And as long as we can keep it in our head, they've done wrong, it makes us feel right. Are you following? And so our flesh hates to forgive 
because then that sense and that pride of I've done right evaporates. And now we find ourselves trying to feel good about who we are instead of propping up ourselves and feeling good because of what they aren't. Okay. Not real popular, but, all right, but we have to understand. See, forgiveness doesn't mean that they're right and I'm wrong. Forgiveness just keeps me under the doorway of the open heaven to always have mercy in operation in my life. What we sow, what we reap, right? So we have to understand this, um, how forgiveness works. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to be quick today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, um, did I do this right? No, that's not right. I think it's a different one. 2. 2 Corinthians 2 is where I need to go, Kelly. I think, is that what I gave you? 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10. Yep. It says this in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He's talking about forgiveness here, but when he's talking about forgiveness, he's referencing it that it is a device of Satan. That unforgiveness is a device of Satan. And he says that Satan can take advantage of us when we have unforgiveness in our life. He can take advantage. So if I forgive, Satan is disadvantaged in my life. If I forgive he does not have the over the upper hand. If I will forgive other people, Satan never has the upper hand. But if I do not forgive, Satan has the upper hand in my life. What we need to understand is the transaction in the spirit that forgiveness uh, uh, acts out for us. When we forgive, it's like this. We have to pretend like this is the dealings of God. And a lot of times in our life, God is dealing with us. He's always dealing with us. You know, fix that. Don't say that. Work that out. Work this out. And God is always dealing with us. But, and he may be in a situation, God is dealing with you. Because you're holding the baton of whatever situation went on. And he's dealing with you about it. They did you wrong, but God's dealing with you about it. They did a mistake, but God's dealing with you about it. They messed up, but God's dealing with you about it because the unforgiveness, you're holding the baton of God's dealing. Okay? When I forgive, I give the baton over to the one that committed the offense. And I am free 
from the dealings about the situation. And now God has an opportunity to deal with the offender. But as long as I hold the baton, God is not even working on the offender to bring them to a light and illumination to know what they even did. So the idea is to get the eyes of the understanding enlightened. So the only way to get the eyes of an offender enlightened is for me to forgive them so that the dealings of the Lord are working on their life instead of mine. But if I won't forgive, God is going to keep saying, you need to let that go. You need to get over that. You need to forgive. You need to drop that. You need to not remember that anymore. See, the dealings of God are working on me. But if I make a choice one day, because forgiveness is a choice of the will, if I make a choice, I forgive them for what they have done, and I will not hold it against them anymore, the debt is gone, then the Spirit of the Lord moves over to the person that created the offense and begins to deal with them. If you want the eyes of their understanding enlightened about what they have done, you have to forgive. You have to forgive. You have to let it go. Amen? So unforgiveness is Satan's advantage. And the reason Satan is like this, because understand this, the very reason for creating people is because God likes relationship. That's why he doesn't even like religion. God is a relational God. God wants relationship with people. God wants people to have relationship with each other. Think of the time God commits in the word about marriage, about brothers, about sisters, all this time about the body of Christ. See, God is into relationship. And because God is so much into relationship, it makes the enemy directly an opposition to relationship. He does not like relationship. The enemy likes failed marriage. He likes disconnected family. He likes strife in the church. He likes things that won't come together, especially with the heart of the people. The enemy specializes in breaking relationship. Fathers and, and children. Mothers and children, mothers and mother-in-laws. He likes to break relationship. Hallelujah. Because God is so much into relationship. And you can determine relationship and where you maintain relationship by two things. How much you nurture a relationship and how well you handle conflict in a relationship. You may not nurture a relationship with the grocery store checker the way you do your spouse. It's because the relationship with your spouse is much more important to you, okay? And you may not even handle conflict between you and the grocery store checker and your spouse the same way. See, it's all about measuring the relationship based on how you value it. So we have to understand this, that all forgiveness will probably be done while you're wounded. It will always be done while you're wounded. Okay? And if you've not forgiven, you're still walking wounded. 
And wounded people make wounded people. Wounded people wound people. So I have here today my spiritual first aid kit. So if you spiritually, if you've experienced a hurt and a wounding in your life, now it's amazing how long we can carry a wound. We can carry a wound from childhood all the way up to retirement. We can carry a wound from um, uh, high school all the way to the grave. We can carry wounds a long time. But in God's first aid kit, you open up God's first aid kit, there's no bandages, there's no ointments, there's no salve, there's not even neosporin in this one. There's one command. Forgive. If you want to be healed of your wounds, you have to forgive. That's the only thing in God's first aid kit. If you're hurting, forgive. If you have a wound, forgive. If you have an infection, forgive. If you've been done wrong, forgive. If you've been done right, forgive. If you've been too wrong, forgive. The only thing in God's first aid kit is forgive. The command to forgive. And like I said, it's not always easy because um, forgive, for, unforgiveness is a place of comfort for us because it means they were wrong and I was right. And that's not what this is about. The man in Matthew 18 did owe the debt. Both of the servants owed the debt, but it was simply one was willing to erase it and the other one wanted to hold a charge against them. Amen? All right, so we see this in, let's go over to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 15, it says this. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, the divine influence of God on the heart, its reflection of life, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So there is a process that the enemy wants to use through your unforgiveness. And this process begins with unforgiveness. But what he's trying to do is get you to the place of bitterness. So the first thing the enemy does is get you to walk in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is interesting because I've heard a minister say it like this one time. Unforgiveness is like poison and you want to inflict something on them so you carry poison. But when you're unforgiving, the only one that's drinking it is you. Because a lot of times people don't even know that you were offended by something they did. And even if they do know, does not mean you don't have to forgive. Okay? So in the morning, in the night, there's always appropriate time to forgive, never an appropriate time to be unforgiving. Okay, so we see all this. 
about he wants to move it toward bitterness. So I'm going to focus on the fact my husband, the great prop builder. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I have an illustration for you about this. Now, this is a sort of trap, right? Looks like what? I was willing to use a real bear trap. My husband was kind of concerned my brains were going to fall out. But so he built me one that's a little bit nicer. But when you are unforgiving, the enemy wants to move you from unforgiving to offended. Offended. He wants to move you from unforgiveness to offense and then on to bitterness. And what offense is, is the word that's used, that's called scandalon in the Greek, where we get our word scandal. But the word offense means a trap, a snare, or a stumbling block. So every unforgiveness in your life is with the demonic assignment to move you into being offended. And then when you're offended, because remember, this is all a working of the enemy to take advantage of you. When you are offended, you are caught in a trap. Kind of like this. That's why he built it. <laughs> now you know why he gave me a fake one, right? A trap. And you don't even know you're walking around mentally entrapped because of the refusal to forgive and not even aware of it. But everywhere you go, the prongs on this trap keep digging into your head, digging into your mind, hurting. This unforgiveness continues to hurt. How do you know? Because you see them in the grocery store and you suddenly have to get something two aisles down. Why? Because it hurts. It hurts. And you're caught in this trap and not even aware that I need to go back to square one and forgive them so that the enemy does not continue to work on my mind and barrage me with this pain and this wounding. I just need to forgive. The only way to get out of the trap is to let it go. All right? And then it goes on to say that many become defiled. And it's like this. I, heard, I saw an analogy by Rick Renner. He said, this many become defiled is like this. If you had white carpet in your house and somebody came in with a glass of grape juice and spilled it on the carpet, okay? Now, you can work on the stain, and it's sort of gone, but residues are always there. And what happens when we walk in unforgiveness, become offended, then we become bitter, what happens is that stain is there, and anyone who walks on that house of white carpet is going to see that residue. Anyone that walks there is going to see it because it's not eliminated. And this is the way it works. We've seen this happen many times. Somebody comes to church, loves the church, tells the whole family, we love the church, tell the kids we love the church. 
Something happens at church. I'm just using that because that's where we live. Something happens in the church. So at home, mom and dad start talking about somebody that offended them at the church. Here's the little kids thought, we thought we loved the church. And the parents go on and on about how something was done wrong. Pretty soon, the kids don't like the church. Did anybody do anything to the kids? Not a thing. But see, it defiled the entire household by one person being offended. It defiled the whole household. Now take those little kids and they go through the teenage years. They go through the high school years and you convince them to serve God. It's not going to work. They have become defiled by the parents' offense that put a stain on their heart about the things of God. You see that? So... So we have to forgive or it leads into a trap and a snare of the enemy. And how to know if you're offended. This is the best way I can explain this. When you have people of value in your life, you know when you're offended by them, when they do something and in your eyes, they lose their value. They lose their value. I once thought they were a great person, but now that they've done this to me, they're not so great anymore. No, if you forgive and let it go, they can be restored to proper position. It's not about exalting them higher than they were, but God never wants us to devalue people around us. And the interesting thing is, they've done something to me, and they're acting like no big deal. And here I am with the trap on my head. Right? That's what's happening. Because I never forgave them. That means the baton of God dealing with them has never shifted over to them. And here I am, miserable, mad, and hurt, and they're free. Because I'm offended at what they did. And I'm, I'm living my life with a trap on my head, controlling my thoughts, all my actions, my operations are controlled by this trap. I can't even be controlled by God because I've got this. No, I can't help because I've got this. No, I can't go to that because I've got this. No, I'm not joining with them because I've got this. Now, we don't say that, but that's what happens. We make excuses and reasons and whys and wheres and all this because this thing is digging in our head. Hallelujah. And then it reminds us of the fact that this is a demonic doing. And so what happens is the enemy has chains of enslavery. And what he does, let's see if I can do this right. What he does then is he hooks his chain and takes you wherever he wants. Into this feeling. Into this emotion. He just leads us by the thing that we're wearing on our head. He leads us by that trap. He leads us by that snare. And if we see them, it all comes back. If we come in contact with something similar, it all comes back. And it's all because on the other end of this chain is the enemy himself. And he's controlling everywhere we go, everything we do. I'm not saying 
what you suffered was right. But I am saying, if you don't forgive, this is the way you're living. I'm not saying that there's justification in what they did to you. But I'm saying, if you don't let it go, this is what's happening. And you can't go into the next relationship and being successful looking like this. This is not proper wedding attire. Okay? You, you just can't do that. And the impact and the control of the devil is so rampant when we don't forgive. Amen? Now, I've just got a couple more things i got to talk to you about. For the most part, we've been in reference to talking about forgiving other people. And that's accurate. But sometimes we have to learn how to forgive ourselves. We have to learn how to let go of our mistakes. We have to let it, let it go. And one of the ways that we let it go is when we find out we have no more regret. Because all regret is, is unforgiveness toward yourself. We have to get free from that. So um, in, the, in the Old Covenant, in Exodus 25, you can go there. I didn't give them this scripture. But in Exodus 25, we have the construction of what's called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was something that was commissioned to Moses to build for the children of Israel. And he said this, you're going to build this box. This is my paraphrase. You're going to build this box. It's going to be all gold. And you're going to put in it the testimony, the stone tablets, the, let me say it this way, the law of, of uh, the law requirements, the instruction, how to live orders. That's what the testimony, the law was, how to live, how you're supposed to live. And you're going to put that in the box, the how to live orders, how you're supposed to behave, how you're supposed to act, how you're supposed to feel about one another. You put that all in that box, but you're going to cover that box with the thing called mercy seat. All of those things of what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to live, what's right and what's wrong, God said, but over all of that mandate, put mercy. Put the mercy over all of that because I am willing to forgive any shortcoming you have in your conduct behavior. I'm willing to let it all go because mercy triumphs over judgment. So then we have the mercy seat there, but then he says something else. And he says, it's above the mercy seat where I'm going to meet with you. It's in the mercy he meets with us, not in proper performance. It's in mercy he meets with us. It's in forgiveness he meets with us. The whole reason for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was so that there was just way for him to forgive everything that humanity would do so relationship could be restored. So this mercy seat covers every mandate ever written for your life personally. 
and then mercy is applied over it. And he said, now that mercy's over all that, I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you a new advantage. I'm going to give you insight. I'm going to give you revelation. I'm going to give you help. Why? Because the mercy is covering every wrongdoing you've got. And we need to be able to take that for ourselves. So you ended up divorced. So you didn't work hard enough at it. You didn't receive your healing. You couldn't make it happen. You did wrong as a parent. You did wrong as an employee. You invested wrong. You expected wrong. Whatever it is, mercy has to cover that or you're going to get stuck in a snare with what you have done. You're going to be stuck forever in what you did. But the mercy seat is there over the mandates to make you free. And just because you hold it in your heart does not mean God holds it in his heart. Just because no one else knows about it doesn't mean God doesn't know about it. See, the mercy of God is so abundant to cover your life. And you can get offended at yourself. You can get so offended at yourself that you don't value yourself as being able to accomplish a particular task. You don't value yourself in thinking God wants to talk to me. See, when you, when you come under that, you are now, what you've done is remove the mercy seat and open the ark of the law and said, see, I did this. I did this, I did this, and I did this. And God will say, put the mercy seat back. Now let's communicate again. And let me tell you how to be empty of all that. Forgive yourself. The only one that lived without mistake was Jesus. So the rest of us live under the mercy, with the mercy seat. Amen? Hallelujah. So we forgive others. We forgive ourselves. And there's the last one. And this isn't about one deserving of, or needing forgiveness. But this is one that is probably um, the most. And that is this. Lose your offense toward God. Lose your offense toward God. Never, God never did anything wrong. But yet he's the most accused. He never did anything wrong. He never hurts. He never damages. If something didn't work, it's one of three things. We were in wrong position. The will of other people didn't align. Or the enemy found a place and remained. That's all it is. We weren't in, if something didn't work out, the way the promise said it was to work out, is because we didn't know something we thought we knew. Or it's a case where the will of others that had a piece and a hand in it didn't comply with the will of God. Or the enemy just got in there and incubate and hatched right there in the midst of it somehow. But anyway, we have to be a people that are never offended at God. Never offended at God. God is not worthy of being offended. But yet, 
There is multitudes upon multitudes of people that will not go to God because they're concerned either about he's going to say to them or because they're mad at him. They died. I didn't want that to happen. They did this. I didn't want that to happen. This happened to me. My spouse had an affair. Why didn't God keep them? Because your spouse's will was not following God. See, there's all kinds of things that feed into it. God is never the one that you can lay blame and accusation at his feet. He is never the one. And so we have to understand that we can't lay our frustrations. We can't lay our disappointment. Why didn't God? Because nobody but you was leaning on God. Nobody but you was. And we can get angry, we can get upset, we can get frustrated, but when we get to heaven, we're going to see the alignment of the why. You aren't enough to carry the population of even your entire family. They have a will and a choice, and God will never violate that. And who are we to call God to fix our world alone? God wants us to fix us, not our world. And then as we fix us, we become more influential to fix the world. But being offended with God will damage your prayer life from the rest of the way out. Being offended with God will damage everything you try to move forward in God. Being offended at God is a heavy way of this. Because the next time you go to prayer about a similar situation, this is going to happen. This is going to control the mind. Why didn't God? That ain't your business. Because God's looking at every heart and life and every choice and will. Why didn't God? Because you know why? Because God is not a mean master punking people on the head when they're not doing what you want them to do. He's not that way. God is a God that honors free will and choice. Amen. So let's look over to Philippians 1.10 because you all think I'm going to just leave you with bad news. I'm not trying to. Hallelujah. Philippians 1.10 says, this is the scripture I pray every day over y'all, that you approve the things that are excellent, that you are sincere and without offense. Without offense. Look at that. You can be without offense. Things in your past might have been all squirrely, but you can be without offense. If you'll forgive yourself, let go of it being God's fault, forgive other people involved. Let it go. You can be without offense. You can be without this fancy helmet. You can be without it. And so then you're free with no digging and no wounding in your emotional well-being. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you get something today? Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WO victory or go to Jerry Roberts ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.